Welcome to the Peak Pod, the podcast about all things venture, tech, and startups. We talk to founders, industry experts, and others to give you, the listener, inside access to the startup ecosystem. Find us on your favorite podcast platform, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. This is Bob Baker and Matt Shrimpton, and we're lawyers at Peak Corporate Council, and you're listening to the Peak Pod. We're joined today by Ian Kane. Ian is the co-founder and chairman of Cubic Labs down in Quincy, Massachusetts. Ian, thanks very much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's great to see you. We're, so you've got a, a lot of titles here, and I want to get into all of them. So not only are you um, co-founder and chairman of Cubic Labs, uh, but you're also co-founder and managing partner of Cubic Ventures, which uh, invests not exclusively in Cubic Labs businesses. And you're also the founder and president of the High Point Group provides strategic advisory and, and capital expertise to organizations, and I assume uh, some startups as well, as well, spanning the public, private, and nonprofit sectors. So before we get into uh, those other two, uh, tell me about Cubic Labs and what was the impetus for starting it? Sure. There's a number of things, and I think it probably involves you know the fact that I grew up here in Quincy, Massachusetts, and I've served on the city council here since 2016. So I've had a uh, a real up close and sort of front row seat watching Quincy in its evolution over the past almost 40 years. Over the past decade or so, the city has really taken an initiative in uh, rehabilitating the downtown area, most particularly, but there's been a lot of real estate development throughout and just a newfound sort of interest in uh, the residential stock. Uh, there's a great single family home stock here. It's a uh, certainly a desirable place to live and arguably more affordable than areas uh, surrounding greater Boston. And so I guess over the past few years, I've noticed that, yes, there is economic development here in the form of physical real estate. But uh, one component that we lack is sort of the entrepreneurial and innovation ecosystem, sort of startups that would feed into some of these spaces and businesses that can grow into the community. You know, you've got areas in Cambridge and Somerville and Boston proper that have been thriving over the past 20 years or so in the startup scene. And I personally uh, don't know why that energy hasn't spread down uh, a little bit further south in 93 and along the four red line stops that we have in Quincy. Um, and so uh, about a year and a half ago, I was talking with a few friends in the community and uh, we started putting together a model for Cubic Labs in order to stimulate that entrepreneurial and innovation activity. Uh, we were, you know, we formed this organization as a nonprofit, the real, you know, job creator initiative and economic development initiative. And so been fortunate to secure uh, some sponsorship in the form of real estate and financial contributions, as well as in-kind contributions. Um, you know, Fox Rock Properties is our uh, real estate partner. We've got uh, South Shore Bank who wrote us our first financial tech. I'll be forever grateful to them. Um, and we have Foley and Lardner who are in-kind corporate counsel to us. And so, you know, the idea is that, you know, we are going to identify and support entrepreneurs and businesses that they're building around three verticals, uh, broadly speaking, financial, government, and civic technologies. Financial, government, and civic, for the reasons that John O'Keefe and I, who are the co-founders of, of Cubic, our personal and professional backgrounds uh, sort of support and lend favor to these to these sectors, and that's you know where our interests lie. And you know, obviously, back to the connection of the city council, you know, operating in local government and having an you know an understanding of how government operates, you can see that there are plenty of places to innovate on uh, to uh, adopt technologies and tech-enabled services, and so we're we're trying to contribute to that as well. Such an interesting point about fact that Boston and, and Cambridge have gotten so much attention with uh, the startup and entrepreneurial scene. So, and and it seems like you know, would you say that you're reacting to to the 
you know, the migration of a lot of uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem out of the center of the city, or are you trying to be a driver of that? Well, we're trying to spread the love. We want to expand the pie, right? We know that there are constituencies that are probably underserved for the fact that they live south of Boston. There are plenty of communities that, uh, you know, they come down Route 3 in the South Shore. They come down 24 from the South Coast, you know, even further south on, on 95. But uh, there are folks that live in those communities that commute into Boston and to Cambridge and they participate in the startup community before pandemic, there are people that, you know, have to travel pretty good distances just to go to networking events. And so, you know, we wanted to create a hub that was in a different location that fulfilled a need and a void uh, that that necessarily wasn't, you know, being uh, met. You know, I think there are reasons Cambridge and Somerville, they've got just different constituencies. They've got diaspora from Harvard and MIT, and there's the universities on the other side, Tufts, you know, and so all these schools that proliferate graduates and young people who want to participate in the startup scene and want to start businesses, it's just a different community. Quincy has typically been a, you know, bedroom community, you know, uh, not that those towns don't have families, but, you know, younger families, generations of of folks that have lived in Quincy, um, and it's just a different populace, more bedroom commuting into town or, or to where people work, so we're just trying to change, you know, the dynamic a bit, but obviously serving the population um, just just south. So, so let's talk about that for a bit. Um, you know, you mentioned that the, there's definitely been a, a migration of folks from more urban centers to maybe less urban as they think about what their, you know, what their home life is going to look like post pandemic. So can you kind of talk a little bit about that? You know, are you... Um, uh, sort of banking on the shift of people moving out of Boston and capturing that? Or is it something that, you know, are you going to find that people are uh, are still kind of stuck in like an institutional mindset where, you know, if I run a startup, I have to go into the city or, or do you see people starting to break away from that? You know, we're, st- we're still feeling it out. I think that uh, the pandemic has certainly changed things. And, you know, John and I in March, if you had, had talked to us on, on the day that everything shut down, it was like, what are we going to do? <laughs> this is, you know, <laughs> hell of a time to open a co-working environment during a pandemic. But, um, you know, what we did, we kept in touch with folks and we started, you know, I, we started thinking about trends and we started understanding trends and, and thinking about people being home and what what we are hoping for and what we have probably also started to see is, uh, you know, you've realized that you don't need to go to a centralized office space anymore. That's one thing, Right. And you sort of the startup ecosystem where once, you know, you would have to go to particular places can now be a little more stratified because you can access them remotely. But secondly, you know, what we hope for is more regionalization of workforce, you know, understanding that a person can operate from anywhere uh, with, you know, the right equipment if they don't need to be in person and can operate, you know, more remotely. And, you know, just that even from, you know, we've got, we've been fortunate over the past three months where we've really just finally launched, we've got about eight members and, each of those members, including P Corporate Council here, uh, one of our tried and true co-working members, you know, what we've seen is that those memberships are operating using our space in different ways. Some are using it more frequently, some are using it every day, some aren't using it at all. And some, uh, you know, some of the folks we're working with, it's totally remote. So we've got, you know, a company that just signed on uh, that's based in New York and is working on breaking into the Boston market, but we're, you know, totally remote right now. We've got a couple of folks who uh, are headquartered, you know, they live in Quincy and have headquartered their business out of Cubic. And then we've got some members who are, you know, on the North shore, we're hoping to work with, uh, start talking to a company that's based in Belgium is looking to break into the U S. So I think what this is, this is allowing is just for, you know, a, a bit more stratification. Obviously we have, uh, 
experience and relationships in the Boston area. But, you know, I come from a global business background, John, uh, as well. And so, you know, our networks touch all over the place. We are trying to strengthen the jobs and economic development uh, situation here locally, but uh, that's certainly, there's certainly global opportunity to do so. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. So we are a a member of uh, Cubic Labs and it really, as a firm, especially one that is really tech driven and we don't have to be tethered to an office every day, you know, it allows us to have that flexibility and also kind of the hyper efficiency of really just, if we don't use it for a week, you know, if one of us is, is out of town for a week and we're just not using the office, it's not a big deal because it's not such a huge overhead expense for us. Oh, and yeah. uh, and we're, so it allows us, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it allows us to operate so leanly. And I think uh, I, I'm hoping that, businesses will really respond to that because I think that is the future. Just low overhead, more of an emphasis on technology, just utilizing all of these great technologies that are there. And just, um, you know, if they don't, uh, if they have regular meetups, that's great. And if they don't want to, they want to take some kind of operational pause from, you know, meeting up with each other for whatever reason, then uh, just, I think it's a great fit. It's worked out really well for us. and, And I'm hoping that businesses are kind of giving that feedback to have you chatted with a lot of them have they said kind of you know why are they there what are they looking for kind of what's their long-term goal are any of them gonna think about graduating to a more permanent office or are they gonna uh, be with you guys you know for the indefinite future so the uh i guess the second question you asked is to be determined you know where they'll go sort of what their trajectories are because we've got companies at varying stages right we've got solopreneurs Mm -hmm. and we've got uh at least a one company, at, they've got seven employees that are working out of our space. And so, um, you know, at that company is a bit more advanced in their fund. It's called, they're called Gentrio. They're uh, digitizing and uh, democratizing the trust and estate planning space. They are uh, going for another or an extension on a seed round that they just completed over the summer. And so, you know, it, it depends on probably how big they get and, uh, you know, expectations for growth and, and headcount. But, you know, right now, We've got 14,000 square feet of, of office space. And so we, we, we're not at full capacity, you know, so we do have flexibility in, in that we can adapt the environment to fit uh, more for, especially for a company the size of Gentrio. You know, I think the, the other thing that I, I thought about uh, just before you asked this set of questions is that with companies reducing headcounts, you know, at the beginning of this thing, even just before the pandemic really hit and everything shut down, you saw tech companies reducing their headcounts uh, at considerable numbers. And now you're seeing um, a lot of small business, small and medium-sized businesses that are unfortunately being decimated by the adverse effects and sort of determinants from uh, reaction to the pandemic. I'm hoping that there are more people that come through who are enterprising enough to create their own path, right? We're trying to, I mean, if you're, if you're going into a startup, you already have a risk appetite, right? Because, and, and you have a certain level of, of drive and excitement that you want to participate in something that is starting from scratch and that you can help grow into something else. And so we're hoping to take advantage of, you know, folks who are, um, they're smart, they're enterprising, they're looking for a new challenge. And that's kind of the, the, the pa- part of the package that we are, uh, you know, providing folks in trying to create this startup ecosystem. As far as your background goes, you had mentioned that you've got a pretty, well, I know personally, you've got a very varied background in private equity and, um, and uh, working at a multinational company. Can you talk a little bit how that experience sort of uh, maybe either pivoted or maybe it was just like a uh, just sort of a change of direction for you, or or maybe just a natural progression into you know working a startup, uh, co-working space, and and also doing the venture space. Sure. Um, so the 
I guess the most um, global experience that I had was working for an energy-focused private equity fund. We were about 25 people. We were based in Waltham. We had an office in Dubai, and we managed about $600 million worth of uh, power plants between Tunisia, Abu Dhabi, China, South Korea, and Taiwan. At one point, our firm was the largest owner of foreign foreign owner of independent power producers in mainland China. It was a, a the most phenomenal experience uh, that for a number of reasons. One, it was just um, it was intellectually stimulating. It was culturally rewarding, uh, having the ability to travel all over the world. And I, this is where I got my uh, baptism by fire in uh, geopolitics and global finance and uh, started to really understand how the world operates, especially at this, you know, that sort of level of, of investment in finance. That company, we were entrepreneurial. We were always looking at new uh, technologies and energy. We were looking at trying to adapt uh, solar technologies to traditional coal and gas-fired power plants. And, um, you know, looking at, at the time, there were heavy feed-in tariffs in places like Germany and Spain. And so, uh, you know, we were looking in the areas that we played where there was heavy, a lot of sun, right, in, in desert, uh, and trying to figure out how to uh, gradually um, produce more solar electricity generation in those regions. At, even at uh, for a good period of time, we were looking at the space-based economy and looking at space-based solar power. I mean, it was we, we looked at some fascinating stuff. What and, years? What year was this that all this was going on? Because this seems like really recent stuff. Like, and I, I'm taking a guess, maybe it isn't. Yeah, no, this was from 2006 to 2011. I was with uh, that company, but it feels just as fresh as yesterday. And yeah. you know, you, nobody, you've never heard more about space. I mean, you heard about it in the 60s, where I wasn't alive. But now you've never heard more about activity in space than you have in the past few years, which is pretty fascinating. But uh, so you know, even folks that we were studying uh, these concepts with that I worked with thought that these things were crazy, but they were they were very real, you know. And um, there are you know so many more applications that people are. Uh, producing, have produced, and uh, will continue in, in the space economy. But that company was a, was a great experience because I, I learned so much. The company was, was a huge success, but it was also a failure at the end of the day, which is why I left um, just before I went to uh, grad school. The, you know, it had three initial partners in the company. There were some bad relationships that permeated into uh, the investors. It permeated into the partners at the asset level. And it just, even to some employees in the, in the uh, management company itself. And so what that eventually led to was uh, a forced liquidation uh, that I wasn't there for, but followed along very closely. And it was just such a visceral experience that most things that I did after going to business school just didn't compare. And so having the ability to sort of create your own path and to really find uh, those sort of stimulating concepts that are going to be transformative in, in local, regional, and global economies mm. is really something that I've always strived for uh, since uh, that experience. And, and so now you're advising businesses, actually, and <clears throat> guessing a lot of startups, and maybe they have some of the same troubles that private equity-backed company might have had early on. And so how much of that have you been able to relate sort of as you advise founders and co-founders on, on their journey? Most of the... Um... I guess I've been fortunate in the companies that I've worked with not to see the level of, I guess, either dysfunction or, or sort of bad relationships with, with partners and things like that. I haven't seen too much of that in the companies I've worked with, but um, most of the stuff that we work through is, you know, strategic growth, market expansions, even just basic sales and marketing. Um, a lot of these companies that we're working with are, they're kind of at, uh, they're at, you know, beta testing, if not proof of concept, minimum viable product, and they're trying to figure out how to get 
to stage uh, one from zero and to figure out how to get their first and recurring sales after that. So how about um, your background in, you're a Quincy city councilor and uh, you've got, obviously got a lot of responsibilities there, you know, making sure that Quincy, which is not a small town, sort of functions properly and, you know, continue to sort of um, adapt and, and maybe overcome all of the challenges that have been presented to it by the pandemic. And so um, can you talk a little bit about how that's worked into your model over at Cubic Labs, if at all? The city council role, you know, the, the, the mayor really controls the city. He uh, is the one that is the, you know, officer, the executive officer of all the municipal departments. We, as the city council, just nine of us, uh, we're the frontline constituent servants. People come to us when they want a tree trimmed or if they want a tree taken down and they want uh, a sidewalk or a street paved or the trash doesn't come, the snow plow doesn't come tomorrow, you know, things like that, making sure that the city departments are responsive. We also uh, vote on uh, orders, resolutions and appropriations. So uh, the rules, the laws of the city resolutions, which are just sort of expressions of uh, support or sometimes refutation of council and then appropriations, which is, is the money. So uh, we approve the budget on a yearly basis. We can cut line items from the budget. We can't add any money. But if you have friends in uh, city government and you're a good legislator, then sometimes your uh, your things do get approved. And that's that's the way it goes. That's how politics goes. The city has been, is, has been a great partner to Cubic so far. Uh, they've been very welcoming. The mayor and his team have been very welcoming to our concept that we're trying to proliferate and collaborate. You know, we're trying to support the city uh, and the city is in turn been very open to supporting us, especially as we work with technologies that are government you know, they're, they're trying to either work with government or support government or support communities. They're, you know, the city has been very open to exploring the, the sort of testing of different technologies that might make the city perform better, right? Um, so, you know, there's sort of a, a nice connection and there's, there's been an open door for, for introductions and uh, for potential sort of test bed opportunities. And we've been looking at a number of things. We had, um, you know, uh, Cubic, we've been working on a partnership with the Boston Blockchain Association. Um, so ideally carving out a corner of our space uh, for regional blockchain activity, right? To support entrepreneurs, to build more of an ecosystem there, to actually have a physical space. We sort of in tandem have been working with the Mass Massachusetts Technology Collaborative, who one of their pillars has been promoting uh, blockchain technology at the local level. And so we've been exploring one, we did an education session with uh, some of my colleagues uh, in city government on just learning what blockchain is, learning at potential uh, use cases uh, could be. And so we've been exploring the opportunity to deploy a project at the municipal level, which would be great, right? That's that's forward thinking stuff. Uh, these are things that uh, really allow a city to to stand out amongst the rest. And so even in connection to that and sort of less connected to Cubic, but certainly more on the technological uh, advancement side is that, um, you know, one of my pet projects in the city council has been advancing the uh, development of a, a municipal broadband uh, network. So in Quincy, we currently only have one offering for uh, internet service providers. So, uh, you know, you're, you're priced to the max and your service can be whatever it is, right? Um, so we're looking to increase competition, increase access, right? Reduce the, the digital divide. Now, especially this is important because you've got people at home working every day. You've got students at home doing school. And so uh, broadband capacity is, is constrained. And so what 
the municipal broadband uh, network would allow the city to do is increase competition. So you have a city owned line that you construct throughout the city uh, that allows internet service providers to have a place on that line, right? Comcast owns the current infrastructure. Uh, the city owned line would allow for open access, competition, increase quality of service and reduce the price at the end of the day. I like the idea of that too, sort of bringing the city in and making it a part of the growth, the entrepreneurial growth, instead of always looking at the city as an obstacle or, well, we've got more regulatory burdens or something like that. And so it's nice to see, especially, you know, with something like broadband, which is a space that, you know, may or may not uh, be sort of taken over by uh, some kind of monopolistic entity. And so it's nice to see them really work with you guys and, and, you know, think about stuff, think about how to pave the road smoother for startups instead of making it more difficult and just oh, ab- kind of a- absolutely. I mean, it, Hey, Comcast has a monopoly here in Quincy. And so given that there's no market solution, we as the government have come in to say, okay, we're going to make sure that there's some more competition here to make it better for our residents of the city and for businesses. You know, the idea is that we're going to have a gig symmetrical of broadband capacity uh, available to residents and businesses at hopefully it's I sort of like the, the upper end of this is about $55 a month. You know what I mean? And so that is a, that's a game changer for uh, businesses that are seeking access to greater broadband capacity. Uh, and so we hope that that is also an inviting proposition as we, as we grow our footprint. You know, so the city, city's open in a number of ways. It's been a great collaboration so far. We've been uh, so grateful for their, their partnership. It's just, it's nice to see uh, the city thinking and forward, uh, and forward in a ways that, that are going to only help the city with the economic development. Ian, you, um, you have a strong grasp of sort of the G in ESG, which is you know, one of the hot buzzwords these days. Do you see the other two kind of being a natural flow into Cubic Labs or the other ventures that you're in or something else? What are we, environmental, social? Yeah, I mean, they all fit yeah. in, right? And that's, and, you know, there's people, I think, that go out of their way to apply those that acronym. And then there's people that just do it. And I'm going to say that we're just doing it. Uh, that's just sort of, that's part of our DNA. You know, the, it, one of the pillars I think that I, I talked about with, you know, that we're trying to proliferate is civic. And I think most often people associate civic with, um, with government, but, you know, we're trying to make that term be a, a little bit you know, more broad to include any sort of, it could be consumer facing, it could be, you know, about residents or constituencies, right? It could be, you know, one of the, one of the projects I'm working on is advancing a waste to energy technology that, you know, basically would take your municipal solid waste and it can even process plastic. It turns it into either electricity or a gas. But you know that that's a civic issue. This is this is stuff that we deal with on the on the local level, where trash service is is part of the the package and the you know the taxes that you that you regularly pay. And so having the ability to create a and and this is also environmental, but creating a circular economy where you're taking trash from the street and using it to generate electricity that then powers your homes and keeping that all within a circle. Um, so that you're reducing, I mean, the waste footprint, because in a state like Massachusetts, um, the state has a, a zero, uh, they've got a goal to have zero sort of trash holdings or distribution, I don't know what the word is, but um, by 2030, right? So there's a reduction in uh, dumps across the state. I think there's probably about seven left. A couple are going to be closing over the next couple of years. So uh, trash waste haulers and trash companies are, are forced to ship that waste elsewhere, at uh, considerable fees. In some cases, they ship it outside of the country. I mean, it, you know, recycling used to go out of the country of China, but now they're shipping things like construction woodways up to Canada. Um, and so the, the sort of the, 
the the economics and the uh, the economy of waste is just totally messed up. And so, I value the ability to be involved at the local level, and you know, having this sort of a project like this, where you're creating local solutions to global problems, which is um, exactly how these things should be done. Because then, at least you can you can figure out how to stamp and repeat, as opposed to a top down sort of uh, rubric where somebody's giving you a framework that doesn't necessarily fit to uh, to where you live. That's a good point. Has Quincy been a, there's so many initiatives going on right now and it really seems that they're just tackling these things that are really kind of big city initiatives and has it always been on that trajectory or is it sort of like a, like maybe a reawakening that the city has seen in recent years and kind of in your experience, did you come sort of before all this was happening or did you see it start to transform? I mean, if, you, if you're thinking about something like um, recycling, Quincy was at the forefront of that in the early 90s. You know, the, Quincy's always been a, an enterprising city. Historically, you got folks like, I mean, I, I use these examples that we keep on the website. It's like the family that started Dunkin' Donuts and the family that started uh, Howard Johnson's, right? And <laughs> we had a, a, you know, a sizable shipbuilding industry for decades uh, through, you know, the Great Wars. And it, there was a thriving retail district before the advent of malls, which decimated our downtown, which is what we're now fixing today. That's taken 40, 40 or so years to really to get moving. I, I think Quincy has always been, you know, I was on a call the other day with a Michelle Rue, who's running for mayor of Boston. And she's not from Boston, but people from the Boston area, they've got this thing where you sort of have to be, or it's expected that you're from here or that your family has lived here for multiple generations because people just don't move away. They stay here for multiple generations. And Quincy is certainly one of those places. You know, I pride myself on being a fourth generation Quincy resident. And, and so, you know, I, I think Quincy has just done, has always done a great job of taking care of its own. They take care of its own. There's always been a sort of innovative economy, even while it's unfortunate that a lot of our, our smaller businesses and restaurants are being really hurt by the pandemic right now. But you just have, you, you've had areas that had been sort of a little bit run down that have been replenished through new life and through new business development. I didn't realize about Duncan. Matt, did you know that about Duncan's? I did. Uh, I did. I've actually been by the uh, original Duncan's. It's still really? standing. How did I not, I feel like maybe I knew that and I just, it wasn't at the top of my mind, but now I will remember it, of course, because you, you mentioned it here. So that's really good to know. Yeah. And uh, Zildjian symbols too. No kidding. (laughs) Did not know. Learning all kinds of stuff today. Exactly. Ian, um, I wanted to ask you, so Quincy's pretty diverse city and in Dorchester where I live, which is next to Quincy is also very diverse is that on your kind of your, uh, your roadmap? Um, are, are there diverse uh, entrepreneurs potentially that you're targeting or just thinking about kind of reaching out to or, or incorporating in your various ventures? Certainly. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait to see what we, what the census numbers will be, but I mean, Quincy is wonderfully uh, diverse in its, in its cultural composition, right? I think probably upwards of 30% of the population are from uh, East Asia. And um, most of that population is of Chinese descent. And, and of, of what I was talking about in sort of some of these areas that, uh, you know, had been kind of run down and there was new life through restaurants, that's mostly from the Asian community that have started uh, restaurants. And, you know, there's just, there's so much wonder, as you probably enjoy, Matt, the, the, the wonderful cuisine 
you know, that they're sort of diverse in culture, different cultural populations can produce. And you know, I certainly enjoy it. We, again, if you want to talk about <laughs> there's sort of the acronyms and, and people applying them, and then there's, there's people that are doing it. Yeah, we, of course, I mean, there's, there's no, we're not, we're not being exclusive by any means. We, um, you know, we certainly recognize uh, the strengths and the diversity in Quincy and um, have been engaged with, you know, some of the groups that are more, I guess, Philly, like Quincy Asian Resources, a friend Phil Chong, who runs that organization, we've been trying to figure out ways to, you know, create a pipeline for entrepreneurial opportunities. You know, we're working through right now, sort of a exploration of partnership with Quincy College, which has an extremely diverse community. And I think uh, plenty of diamonds in the rough. I mean, that's Quincy College is a school that, you know, people choose to attend uh, for many different reasons. I took a class at Quincy College before I went to business school and had an unbelievable experience. And I just think that, you know, sometimes people attend a, a city-owned community college. I, I think that people attend that school either because they, they don't have access to or they can't afford the traditional four-year colleges that, that people do attend. And I think during and after a time like this, people are going to realize that there's more value in attending a school like that then there is potentially, you know, spending money where you're not even living at the school right now. You're paying for, you know, physical plant upkeep for most of these universities. And so, you know, we're trying to, to really mine. We've got Eastern Nazarene College here as well in Quincy. So we want to create pathways for those schools to, uh, to, to come through Cubic because we, we think that especially in the computer science programs, they've got business and entrepreneurship entrepreneurship programs that we know there are people that are plenty talented, plenty smart, and just don't have access to those uh, typical tech and startup jobs uh, like, you know, the rest of sort of the, you know, the, the West and uh, Cambridge of the world. But um, yeah, we're, t- we're totally open. I mean, we've got, obviously, you know, you're talking to a, um, you're talking to a person of color <laughs> and we've got, uh, I, I call it, John's an immigrant, right? John's from Ireland. So he's, he's learned uh, in different ways and he's adapted so well to, to the uh, to the Boston area, but it, it, from the Irish community, it's they've got a very strong uh, population as well, a supportive population. And so, you know, again, that's just not something we're we're not going to toss around acronyms and say, you know, hey, we're we're gonna we're just gonna do it. We're we're just we've got our relationships that touch many different cultural bounds, and so we're excited to see what more there is out there to to help grow. So I mean, there's so many pieces that work so many angles that we're coming in from here. We've got the, you know, the government and civic aspect. We've got the uh, entrepreneur, the business incubator space in more affordable place than in the heart of, you know, right in the heart of Boston and hopefully uh, meeting a need that is going to increase in size in demand. And I guess the last part I, I wanted to ask you about in was just the um, cubic ventures. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What's the, uh, what part does that play in sort of, infusing capital into some of these businesses and that's that's the least developed of things that we have going on so i think you know we we did we formed an entity for cubic ventures and i think in our uh, eager ambition to get this ecosystem thriving we were trying to simultaneously stand up an incubator and a venture fund which we Mm. found was challenging right and sort of (laughs) the the idea you know we we had and sort of the decision that we made was let's build a pipeline of companies and potential investment opportunities that then we can go to market, uh, find some limited partners to, to support that activity and, and to grow from there. But the idea is that we invest, you know, 
and at a rate, there's a range dollar amount. We haven't settled that yet because it's still sort of in formation, but you know, we'd probably make smaller bets more on the pre-seed side uh, that would align with our participation in getting to know these businesses along the way, thereby, you know, decreasing risk and you know, sort of aligning interests. But, you know, I think the, the sectors that we would be focused on would be around fintech government and civic technologies, but we wouldn't exclusively invest in uh, the businesses that come through Cubic. We would hope to have, you know, opportunities to participate outside if there was an opportunity to do so. I mean, I think it's good that you you have it sort of on the, uh, you know, maybe the front burner or the back burner anyways, because I think as people come through, Cubic Labs are going to look at that and say, hey, that's another feature of this that is right there. Because as you know, you know, investment's hard to come by. You know, venture capital firms are opaque to be kind. And uh, sometimes that acts as a real obstacle for folks who maybe just don't really know the investment space. You know, they're not quite sure how to approach it. I mean, you're obviously a really approachable guy. And so, you know, they can come to you and say, Hey, what, what is this all about? And even if, even if Cubic Ventures isn't ready to invest, you know, that might be a vehicle that they could be interested in later on. So sure, uh, yeah, I think it's no, a good... It's- it's on the horizon. It's um. It's just you know. Obviously, we we've been slowed down by like everyone else has, and so you know, uh, I think it'll happen. We're confident. We're just excited that the ecosystem has, has started to thrive uh, as much as it has already. So you know, in short order, that's something for, on the twenty twenty one agenda. But one thing I will say, in the meantime, we have raised some money for is we're we're planning to do two startup challenges next year. So we're gonna. We've got commitments for we we've got commitments for over a hundred thousand dollars, and we were we're planning ambitiously to do more than two, but we settled on two: one for the spring and one for the fall. The first one we're going to be focused on blockchain specifically. So we want uh, to have a startup competition around block around blockchain. The the concept is still in formation, but we think it's going to be somewhat like a battle of the bands type competition uh, with, you know, sort of voting and participation from, you know, from folks outside and then uh, kind of come through for final battles with a, with a judging panel. We've been fortunate. There's, um, there's a, a woman, Stephanie Rulick, who runs um, Boston Startup Week. She lives in Quincy and she has, uh, she's uh, been so kindly helping us to sort of formulate this concept. I think these, you know, obviously there's so many things that go into this and we'll be building a committee and everything around it, but um, we will hope to be launching the calls for application in February on that, on the first one. And the second one, we're anticipating doing more broadly around fintech. And then we'll probably set the next two for the following year around uh, the government civic space. That's fantastic. I mean, that's really great. I I like the idea of doing it like a battle of the bands model, like you had mentioned, instead of just sort of the, you know, the panel of really stern faced judges who are looking at, you know, well, what's your ARR and things like that. We're trying to have fun and we we want to engage more people. So in webinars and uh as you very well know webinars and podcasts like there's there's so many and and trying to get people's attention is is very difficult you know so we Mm -hmm. want to just make sure that we're uh engaging at a high quality level so that we can we can really get one impression (laughs) (laughs) it's a great idea we're going to look forward to to uh, seeing that develop so uh, I'll let you have the uh, last word, Ian. Uh, what's, your, what's your advice to founders uh, or, or potential founders, potential entrepreneurs out there right now who are just uh, looking for really just everything? They're looking for a space to work. They're looking for advice. They're looking for capital. They're looking for uh, maybe a co-founder. They're just trying to figure out uh, maybe they're job insecure. Or maybe they uh, were laid off at a job or maybe they just really wanted to do something for a long time and they're just thinking, 
this is the time. And, and at the end of 2020 or the beginning of 2021, new year, uh, finally going to pull the trigger on it. What do you say to those guys and gals? Give us a call at Cubic Labs. We'd love to help. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the shameless plug. And uh, I think we will leave it at that. Ian Kane, thanks very much for joining us this afternoon. What, how can people uh, get in touch with you? Uh, you can, well, first check out our website, www.cubiclabs.com. That's Q-U-B-I-C-L-A-B-S.com. Um, if you'd like to email me, please email me at Ian, I-A-N, at cubiclabs.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again very much. Thank you, guys. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to get the latest podcasts from the Peak Pod. You can find us on LinkedIn and Instagram and on the web at peakcouncil.com. That's P-E-A-K-C-O-U-N-S-E-L.com.